going into Passover, it's not just about doing a Seder, okay? Uh, it's not just about, you know, once a year, God wants you to have a nice meal, you know, not at all, okay? There's a reason for these things, and they go all the way back to when uh, Israel was in Mitzrayim, when they were in Egypt, and Yahweh brought them out. This wasn't just something that was a metaphor. This happened, you know? It, it, Israel was redeemed when they were brought out, and Yahweh says, when I bring you out, I'm going to redeem you. And so consider this. The whole idea behind Passover is a show of redeeming the people of Yahweh to bring them to himself. And that's important because without this redemption, without people coming to him, without the people saying, yes, you are my God and I will serve you, then everything else in the scripture is irrelevant then, isn't it? You know, we can read the scripture, we can talk about the Torah, we can talk about the Hadashah, we can even talk about Yeshua and who he is, but unless it is our heart to say, he is the one that I serve, I repent for my life and my ways, and I come to him, then the rest of it just doesn't matter to me. It's a matter of relationship. And that relationship is birthed in covenant. Okay, Yahweh made a covenant with his people. And you guys know Yahweh never backs away from his covenant. Okay, he made a covenant and he will back it up and he will stand strong and affirm it. And guess what? If he made a covenant with his people and for his people Israel and all those that would profess him and join with him in this declaration, guys... This is what Yeshua came for us in the first place. He said, I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, I have come to do what? To bring people to the Father. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me, right? And he, that's not to say that the rest of the word isn't relevant. It's to say, now that we're redeemed, we need to learn to walk in his ways. See, and that's what happened when they came out of Mitzrayim. When they came out, Yahweh says, I am redeeming you. But guess what, guys? We're talking about a people who for 400 years, all they knew was Egypt. Think about it. You know, you forget things from when you were a child, what your parents told you. Now think about 400 years worth of parent telling child and child forgetting and then growing up telling child and then child forgetting, growing up telling child, child forgetting. <laughs> 400 years, people didn't know how to live for Yahweh. They didn't know how to serve him. They didn't really even know probably not that much about him. They were, they were held, uh, held in captivity. And now they're oppressed and they're in slavery and all these things. And, and, but yet they come to a point where they're like, we know we have a promise. We know that. And they cry out. And Yahweh says, I've heard their cry. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to deliver you. But guys, their deliverance out of Mitzrayim was more than just literally coming out. He says, I am redeeming you. What does redeem mean? The definition of the word is purchase. So he says, I am redeeming you. The scripture says, I am not my own. I've been bought with the price. What is the price we've been bought with? By the blood of Messiah. Okay, so if we are not our own, we are bought with the price. So he redeems us. Can we now say that he redeemed me? I now serve him. I, I love him. I, I don't do things for my own anymore. He is the one. But you know what? I really do think I want to just kind of do my own thing on site. Is that the way it works? No, you can't say, I'm going to serve him and I belong to him and then continue to say, but I'm going to do what I want anyway. And so we learned in this process, he brought them out. He brought them through the, the water, symbolizing a baptism or a mikvah, right? And then he brought them to the mountain for what purpose? To reveal himself to his people by his spirit, gave them his word, words of life and a place of affirming covenant with them so that they could walk through the wilderness into the promise that he had for them. And guys, it's no different for us today. As we repent, the baptism, repent, mikvah, and then we have his word to teach us how to walk with him, right? Passover is one big thing in that, guys, because Passover symbolizes redemption. And so how do we learn to walk with him? Well, Here's that whole follow me thing. Because when the time came for them to leave Egypt, they had to leave at the right time, at the appropriate time when Yahweh says, now's the time, let's go. And the people followed Moshe on the way out. Now they're learning to walk with him. Not just in a metaphor, literally. They're learning to walk with him. And then as he brings them to the mountain, he's telling them, this is the way I want you to live. These are areas of life that I have for you. I'm going to share with you my heart so that you can walk in my ways. And why? So that there is blessing and life for you, right? Okay, so one of the things we learn about Passover isn't necessarily regarding Passover itself. When we say Passover, it, we're, we're, we're really encompassing three events 
that are separate, but they're all in this, within the same week. Okay, We say Passover. What do we mean when we say Passover? Well, we're talking about Passover. We're talking about the actual uh, Passover with the lamb and then the Seder. But then there's Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because it's Passover and you're observing the Seder and the sun is going down, you are now entering into the first day of Unleavened Bread. And then during this week, during the time of Passover and unleavened bread, during this week, then you have uh, something called first fruits. See, all of these are within the same week. They are separate events, but they're calculated when we just say Passover, we kind of lump it all together into one, which honestly is part of the problem. Because then we don't differentiate the purpose of each one and what he's trying to do in our life in each one. Okay, so in between now and Pesach, we're going to talk about these and help clear, clear, clear these up. But for the sake of today, for the sake of preparation and giving you more time to, to, to help do this, we're going to talk about leaven today. And it's not just a matter of, so do we remove leaven like physically, like literally, or is this just like a metaphor? Is it something we're supposed to do spiritually? What's going on? And the answer is all of the above, but the all is the same. We are told to beware of the leaven. So what is the leaven? Why do we have to be aware of it? Do we have to be afraid of it? No. It just says, be careful. In other words, we're talking about discernment. We need to learn to discern. And guys, a lot of people are like, oh, I discern by the Spirit, but they can say I can discern by the Spirit, but they haven't learned how to hear the Spirit's voice. <laughs> how do we learn to hear the Spirit's voice? It's in the Word. We learn to get into the Word to find the heart of the Father, and then He will teach us how to discern. We can't say, oh, I'm going to discern things without any scriptural backing for it. We need to learn that what we are discerning is what God is saying, not just my preference. So a lot of times we'll say, I, I, I feel by the Spirit when it's actually just something we prefer. You've got to be careful doing that. Okay. So what does Yeshua say regarding leaven and, and what are we to do with it? Well, one of the things he said was this. We're going to start in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 5-12 through 12, says, When the disciples came to the other side of the sea, they had forgotten to take bread. Why is that important? Because I assume they were hungry, right? So they got to take bread, and then Yeshua says, watch out and beware of the chametz of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when they began to discuss among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. Why is he talking about bread? What's going on with the bread, right? And do the Pharisees and Sadducees, do they have bread? Do they bring bread for us? I don't understand, right? What are we going to do here? But knowing this, Yeshua said, though you will little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Verse 9. So you still don't get it. You don't, don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets of leftovers you gathered? Or how on the, the seven loaves and the 4,000 and all the baskets of leftovers you gathered? How is it then you don't understand that I was talking to you about bread? Now beware of the chametz, the leaven, the chametz of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood he wasn't talking about the chametz in the bread, but about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now here's the thing, guys. Um, we, a lot of people, they use the term Pharisee as synonymous with someone bad, okay? I want us to get out of that mindset because not all Pharisees were bad, okay? Because a lot of times you talk about these Pharisees that came to Yeshua and a lot, of, a lot of times you read it was a certain grouping of or there was a few of them who said or whatever. And don't forget as well, Paul said, I am a Pharisee. He didn't say I was, he said I am. So it's not the problem here. And we would say there were Pharisees who believed in Yeshua. There were righteous men who believed in the Yeshua, but they were Pharisee. What makes them a Pharisee? It was a matter of their belief system and how they approached certain areas of Scripture, right? Didn't say that in and of itself was wrong. It just said that their heart was in them, okay? So just be careful about that as well. So what was, what was going on here? What was happening? Well, we have to get the context of what was happening before to understand what is being talked about now and then what the response is regarding it. So Matthew 16, 1 through 4 is where we're going to back up to. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him, and they asked him to show him a sign from heaven. Well, see, now we already saw the, uh, the later part. It says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it says here what their intent was in coming to Yeshua. So what was their intent in coming to Yeshua? To test him and say, give us a sign. So when Yeshua says, beware of the living of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what would you gather from that? If it tells us right here what they were doing, you see? Let's keep reading, verse 2. So he answered, when it is evening and you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be a stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. So you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And the evil adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. And then they go on and they get to the sea and they do all that, right? So what was he talking about? He was talking about testing God and saying, okay, so 
So you're from, you're from God, right? Give us a sign. Prove it. And what did Yeshua tell them? You're seeking signs as affirmation? You can be easily misled by signs. You can easily be misled by these. So by someone doing signs and wonders is not an affirmation of if they are uh, genuine from Yahweh. Or. Matter of fact, we're told in the Torah to beware of false prophets who will give signs and wonders and do these things, but it comes down to do they teach against what the Word of God says? Are they going to pull you away from the Word that has already been given to you according to Deuteronomy 13? Then it says that is a false prophet. So seeking the signs and the wonders is not affirmation that Yahweh is with them. It's a matter of what are they declaring? What, to, to the whole word of Yahweh, or are they just trying to pull you away from it into something else? Again, the signs, if that's all you're pursuing, you can be led astray pretty easy. Because the signs, the feel good, the high you get, a lot of people are just chasing that. Because life is hard and they just want to feel better. When you say something a little harsh, that's not your drug. The pur purpose He exists is not just to make you feel high, high, high from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. Are we going to walk with Him in a place of covenant no matter what it looks like? No matter what it feels like? Are we willing to walk with Yahweh hand in hand while life gets hard? Are we willing to walk with Him when life is great? Are we willing to walk with Him because of who He is? Not because of, we think what, not because of what we think we can do. That's tough. That's where we need to examine her. So, are we seeking the Father? Or are we too concerned with just the signs and the wonders? Are we seeking Yahweh wholeheartedly? Or when Yahweh says, follow me, we can reason ourselves out of obedience, can't we? You know, when Yeshua came to his Talmudim and he said, follow me, I didn't see any of them going, well, I, I've got to, you know. <laughs> no, the ones who followed him, what did they do? They followed him. And so we have to learn to do the same thing there. So what are we told here? This teaching is a, a, a spiritual concepts in physical ways. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's a great way for me to learn. Okay, sometimes you don't understand it until you see it. Sometimes you don't get it to actually do it. Sometimes you can say, I don't know why I'm doing this or I don't understand. But like going through the other side of it, you can look back and go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. You know, you've heard the phrase hindsight's 2020, right? You may not understand why something is going through now, but on the other side of it, you can look back with a little more understanding. And even if not, guess what? You get to do it next year too. Okay, so it's a process that the Father has for us. And what we don't get now, we're going to get later. Right? So what are we supposed to do with this? 1 Corinthians 15, 44-46 says, uh, it is sown a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. So there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Afterward that which is spiritual. Let me paraphrase. What came first? Physical or the spiritual? When Adam was made man and placed in the garden, what came first? The natural or the, or the spiritual? He formed him in clay, placed him in the garden, breathed in him, and he became a living soul. The physical was there first. Same with us. When we are born, we are born, and then we are born again. What came first? The natural or the physical? Or the natural or the spiritual? Right? So we have the natural, but in the natural, it teaches us the spiritual thing. All right? So we often hear that we can do whatever we want as long as God knows my heart, right? How many of you guys have heard that? How many of you guys have used that, right? Let's be honest. Most often when that's said, you know what that really means? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to do what I want to anyway. You know, me and God, we got an understanding, right? <laughs> no. See, if I say, well, God knows my heart, consider this. In the book of Revelation, to, to the letters to the churches, any time at all does he say, well, I know your heart. The no. I know your ways. I know your deeds. I know the things that you're doing. He didn't say, well, this, there's some things I have against you, but I know your heart. He says, I have these things against you. Fix it. <laughs> right? So again, are we trying to reason our ways out of obedience or are we trying to actually pursue him? Because here's the thing, guys. When we repent and we come to him, we need to change. All we've known our whole life is the way we've done it. All we know is the way our parents have done it, the way, the way others have done it. Put it this way, all we've known is Egypt. When we come to Him, we need to learn who He is. We need to learn who He says He is. And we need to learn to walk with Him in that. Proverbs 10.13 says, Why do the wicked despise God and say in his heart, it won't be held against me? You know how that translates? I'm going to do what I want. You know, God knows my heart. No, that's not what we're to do. If you have, see, that's the problem. God does know our heart. That's why He says the heart is a very wicked and deceitful thing. That's why he tells us don't follow it, right? He tells us to follow him and to follow his way and to not follow our heart, but follow his. Okay, 
So what is the, is the intent of obedience or dedication the same as actually being obedient? Question. Is the intent of obedience the actual same, actually the same as being obedient? You can intend to be obedient. You can intend to do something and then get sidetracked and not do it. Did you do it? Consider this. And Peter, Matthew 26, 31 to 35. Yeshua, Yeshua is talking to him. He says, tonight you will all lose faith in me. As the talk says, I will strike the shepherd dead and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you into the Galilee. And Peter says what? As often as Peter does. Oh no, Lord, I will never, ever. How It just couldn't happen. It's, you know, right? Gotta love Peter, man. And what did Yeshua tell him? Uh, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. And so Peter's saying, no, I, I will never do it. And that's never going to happen. And, and no, I'm, I'm with you no matter what, right? But when it came time, was he? Even consider this, even down to the crucifixion and when Yeshua was put on the cross, there's only a record of one disciple being there. So what happened? But yet we do know Peter was restored, wasn't he? Let's go back to this as well. Matthew 21, 28 to 32 talks about two sons. He says, give me your opinion. A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And he said, I don't want to. But he changed his mind that he went. And then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And the one answered, yes, sir, I'm going to go right now. But he didn't. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Think about it. Which of the two did what he was asked to do? And they said the first and he replied, well, that's right. And Yeshua said, I tell you, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For Yohanan came to you showing the path to righteousness, and you wouldn't trust him. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes trusted him. But you, even after you saw this, you didn't change your minds later and do trust him. So it's not just saying, yes, I'm going to be obedient. God, I'm going to follow you, and I want to walk in your ways, and just show me your heart, and I'm going to do all these things. And then when we read in Yahweh's word, keep my Sabbaths. When we read in his word, observe my festival. Uh, yeah, we don't have to do Really? Is it our heart to serve him or not? Are we going to do what he said or not? And the reason is why. Is it our heart to do it or not? Because you can do the right thing with the wrong heart. You know that? And that's the problem that Yeshua got after a lot of the Pharisees. They were doing the right thing, but their heart wasn't in it. And so you can do the right thing with the wrong heart. David wanted to bring the, the ark up to Jerusalem. Was that right? Absolutely. But he did it the wrong way and somebody died. And then he went to go find out, hey, how am I supposed to do this again? <laughs> Maybe he should have asked beforehand. You know, it's always a good idea to seek instruction from the Lord first, right? <laughs> so go and do that. So the same thing applies here. What are we told regarding Passover? Even in the New Testament, what are, we, what are we told regarding this? We're told to observe the Seder. We're told to do this also discerning the body. Matter of fact, if Yeshua is our example, what did he say to his disciples? I so much desire to, to want to keep the Passover with. I so much desire to want to do this. I know we can talk about you know, the, the meal of Messiah, did he did it? And, you know, at what point he, did he do it? Did he do uh, Passover on Passover, the day before Passover, the meal of Messiah? Did he do? I mean, there's a lot of different commentaries and midrashes and things out there regarding that. Uh, one another thing I want to throw out here, just as another quick little side note uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept two different calendars, by the way. Does that sound? Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept two different calendars, so it could very well possibly be that it was one, one was on one night, one was on the other. <laughs> Why are we fighting about things that we shouldn't be fighting about? He just said, do it, and I'm going to show you how. So, first off, let's not forget this. Passover is a sign of redemption. All right? If we are redeemed, then we follow and walk in His ways. The first Pesach involved the process of redeeming Israel, and the decision to observe Pesach is to be determined beforehand. Consider that for a minute. There is preparation involved with observing Passover. You can't just automatically say, hey, I think I'm going to do Passover the day of. You're going to have, uh, you could do it, but it's next to impossible. <laughs> Unless you're like superhuman, super fast, right? Um, there, there, there can't really be a last minute observance in this. Why? Because there's a preparation. First off, your heart has to be prepared, right? You can say, even in the first Passover, uh, Yahweh says you're going to take the lamb, you select the lamb. Did he say you're going to do this all in a day? No, it had to be selected beforehand. And it had taken it and brought it into your homes. And these, there was a, a process of this, right? So when the time came, then they had to slaughter the lamb, place the blood over the doorpost and the lintel on the home. It's a picture of the word and the blood working together to show the, the, the deliverance that Yahweh wants to do for us. So we have here 
You can't just do that automatically and just say, you know, no, there was a preparation involved. Then about midnight, Yahweh went through the land and he smote the firstborn in every home that did not have the blood applied over there. So what do you think is going to happen? Now, as the people are hearing the, 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 the cries out from the people where there's death in the homes, now they're going, oh my goodness, I need to go find a lamb really quick before it gets to my house. It's too late. Much like the ten virgins, the five wise, the five foolish. There came a time, there came a point where you have to make the decision ahead of time. You are going to do it. And so that is a commitment to covenant. That's what we're talking about. That is a commitment to covenant. That is showing I am redeemed. Not from my works. I am redeemed because He said He redeemed me. Because He redeemed me, I'm going to follow Him. Okay? This is what they were looking at. In Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, so say to Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, I am Adonai and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm of great judgments. I will take you to myself as a people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So what was this observation that they had to do? Well, I'm going to paraphrase this, but go back and read Exodus chapter 12. It talks about the observance of it, what they were to do. How did they observe? Well, first off, on the 10th, they were to choose a lamb without blemish. And then they were to bring it in the home. They were to get very well familiar with this lamb. And their kids were going to make pets out of it. You know they did. They were going to become well familiar with this and well acquainted with this lamb. And then on the 14th, as between the evenings, the scripture says, then on the, on the 14th, as the evening of the 15th is approaching, it was slaughtered and the blood was applied to the doorposts and the lintels of the home. By the way, what's the word for doorpost that's there in the scripture? Mezuzah. So the word was applied there. And so now they the, they, the blood and then they were to eat the lamb. How much of it? All of it. None left till morning. And they were to eat it with two things. What is it? Bitter herbs and matzah. And then as you go through further, further, it talks about the matzah. It says no leaven is to be found with you or in your homes. So in order for that to happen and to eat the lamb with matzah, they had to get it all out of the house beforehand. Okay, so Passover is one event. Feast of Unleavened Bread is another. But in order to prepare for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they had to be prepared before Passover. Make sense? So here's this preparation that we're looking at. They had to eat the lamb, all of it, with bitter herbs and with matzah. How was it to be prepared? It was to be roasted, not boiled. And then anything left had to be burned completely, all completely consumed. And they were to eat it dressed and ready to leave. Much like us, we have to prepare. Well, here's another example. What about Shabbat? What about the manna that was given in the wilderness? Yahweh says, in six days, I will give you manna. But on the seventh day, there will not be any manna. So what I'm going to do is the sixth day, I'm going to give you double. On the sixth day, you're going to take to collect twice the amount of manna so that on Shabbat, you will have what you need and you're not going to have to go out and no work for it. It's going to be there. So consider how we consider how we do things. You know, it says that there were some who kept who collected more. Right in in the in the first five days, someone who collected more and what happened? It rotted, got worms in it, it stank, it did all that. Right, and so what would we do? Okay, so on the sixth day, you're to collect twice as much. Well, no, 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 no. I've done that. I've done that. I'm gonna if I collect twice as much, it's gonna go bad. It's gonna stink. And you know how long that sm that smell was in my tent. Mm -mm. So I'm not gonna collect that much. And then Shabbat came, and guess what? You're not eating today. Why? Because we didn't do it the way God said it. You know, it's not just about obedience. It's obedience at the right time. The right thing at the right time. When they came out for Pesach, and, and can you imagine? They go in, they slaughter the lamb, they place the blood, they roast it, they cook it. And then about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, they're like, well, I'm getting kind of tired. We've already done what God told us to do. Let's just go ahead and start walking. Let's get out of here. What do you say? And they get out and they start walking. And about midnight, God comes through there. You're not in the home with the blood applied. What do you think is going to happen? See, consider that the when of something is often just as important as obedience when God said, will bless us and allow us to be obedient. So much like the Shabbat, manna in the wilderness, and also like the Shemitah years, you know? Because what happened in the Shemitah years? You had to determine before the Shemitah year got here, you were going to observe it. Because then God says, if you do that, then I will provide for you in the sixth year enough to carry you through until time to plant again and get that harvest. Okay? The ten virgins, same thing. We have to prepare for what, the God, for what God is doing in our midst. Okay, so how do we prepare for for Pesach? Well, it out. That's the first thing we got to do. Get the leaven out, and this was selecting a lamb. This is a picture of faithfully looking at ourselves 
and repentance for any leaven we've allowed in our hearts and in our lives. Okay, so yes, it is a physical thing. And here's, here's the idea. God is teaching us a spiritual concept in a physical way. Because how we search for the leaven, what we've found, what we've learned over time, is how we've searched for the leaven often indicates what our heart is in looking within ourselves for the sin in our life. And looking for the areas where we're not submitted to Yahweh, where we're not obedient to Yahweh. Is it good enough? Or we truly desire to just completely and totally submit to Him. It's not bondage to say, God, I love you and I want to do what you ask. Because I know there's blessing there for you and for me. Because it blesses Him when we follow Him. So again, what is our heart in that? Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you're going to find love in places. I can promise you. Unless you grew it yourself. I can promise you there's leaven in places. And so are we going to stop? How do we approach God? Do we give him all of us? Or, you know, do we sing the psalm? You know, I surrender some. Some of you got how do we prepare? Are we faithfully going to do that? How about looking for the lamb without blemish, without defect, and seeing that as acceptable with the purpose for Pesach? Guess what? Yeshua was saying he is the Passover lamb that was given for us. He was without defect. Uh, we'll cover this at a later time, but it's, he was examined by multiple people and it was proven that he was the lamb without, he was given as that Passover offering. All right, next, we approach with the right heart and be willing to observe. It's not just being obedient, but also the attitude that we prepare, okay? You ever work around people like when they're doing something they don't want to do? Is it enjoyable when people are doing stuff they don't want to do? A lot of times you're like, All right, stay away from that guy. As we're preparing for Passover, the observance of Passover includes the preparation for it. How we approach. Do we say, God, I'm going to surrender you my heart, but I'm going to get mad about surrendering my heart to you. God, it's kind of tedious, don't you think? Why are you showing me all these sins in my life? Why are you showing me all these things that I need to repent of? Why do I need to go through all that? Why can't I just come to you? Guess what? You can come to Him. No matter how you are in your life, you can come to Him. But guess what happens next? He shows you the areas that he wants you to change. <laughs> See, he redeems you, and then he shows you how to walk with him. And where is our heart in that? Proverbs 28:13. He covers his, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So uh, go to here. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Shaul says, Your boasting is not good. So don't you know that a little hamet leavens the whole batch of dough? A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. How many of you guys make sourdough bread? What do you what do you use to start that with? It's a thing called a Starter, what is it? Fermented, leavened dough, <laughs> right? And what do you do? You take the starter and you cut a piece. You, you, you cut a piece out of the dough, and then you make the bread, and then you set that starter aside. Now, when the time comes to make more bread, you get the flour and the water, and you take that starter, you throw it in it, and let it sit. What does that do? That ferments the bread, and that that's the process there. So again, this is what we're seeing here: a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole batch. You know, one bad apple, so to speak. <laughs> right? Little bit can poison the whole thing. It's the same thing even if you're talking about poison. If leaven was considered poison, little bit of poison in the soup. It's just a little bit of poison. Go ahead, you can eat it. You know, no, 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 there's a 90% chance it's not going to mess with you. <laughs> How do we approach that in our life? This is what we're being instructed. To uh, verse 7, get rid of the old chametz. Get rid of the old leaven. Get rid of these things. And that you may be a new batch just as you are unleavened for Messiah our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So see, Shaul's making the connection here between the Messiah our Passover lamb and unleavened bread and you being unleavened. Get rid of this leaven in our life so that we can observe. Verse 8, therefore let us do what? Celebrate the feast. He didn't say, therefore, let us talk about the feast. Therefore, let us uh, just theologically discuss it. No, he said, let us celebrate it. That means do it and do it joyfully, right? Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of matzah of sincerity and truth. So he's saying, he's, he's making this connection between the physical things and the spiritual, right? So as we observe, it's not just a matter of getting the leaven out, it's a matter of getting your heart right too, see? So spiritually speaking, leaven is equated with sin. It causes things to rise to ferment, which is actually a process of decay, and it causes something to puff up or rise up. Now, a lot of, a lot of you may have caught that, caught that message, right? When I say it causes something to rise up, what do you think of? Pride. 
Right? Scripture says you know, right, that it's, it, pride is something that puffs up, right? Matter of fact, you can even see it with people when they start to get prideful. They, right? See, so, so again, this is the idea we're thinking about. Causing something to puff up or in this. No, 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 no. Just get rid of that stuff. Get rid of it. You don't need that. We're, we're not going to be doing that. 1 John 1 through 10 says, We walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. One way to get rid of the leaven in our lives is this right here. Very simple. If you only get one thing, how do I get rid of the leaven in my heart? This right here. You repent, let him search through you, and ask. What are the things that I need to change? And when you get in the Word, guess what's going to happen? When you get in the Word and you're reading things, you're going to see things you may have never seen before or things that you maybe have not have thought about before and be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now, guess what happens? Now you're faced with the decision. Are you going to change or not? Are you going to do it or not? And that's where our submission to Yahweh comes. He changes us little by little by little. You don't have to do it all overnight, guys. You don't have to learn it all overnight. But it needs to be a process in our lives that, and it's really a process that never stops. At what point do you stop being a disciple? At what point do you stop being his? At what point do you stop learning his heart? You know, it's, it's an everyday thing. So to remove the leaven before Passover, because you cannot observe Passover with leaven, right? And how do we know that? Because it says that. Exodus 12, 14 to 20 says, this day is to be a memorial for you. What's the, what does it mean to have to be a memorial? Does it mean we just remember it? You know, we put the day on the calendar, and go, oh, hey, I guess today was Passover. Is that the way it works? No. Remember, scripturally speaking, for something to be a memorial means it is remembered and you act on it. So it says it's a memorial, so therefore we remember it and we to do something because of it. What do we do because of it? We observe. So, so you, you are to keep it as a feast to who? Feast to Adonai. So verse 14 says you are to keep this day as a memorial and a feast to Yahweh himself. So here's the thing. Does it say it's a feast for the Jews? Who does it belong to? It belongs to Yahweh. Matter of fact, we see scriptures later where it talks about it is Adonai's Pesach. The word Pesach, that we get the word Passover from, is not talking about skipping over the houses. That's Pasach. Pesach literally is a reference to the lamb itself. And so when we're calling it Pesach, which is the word for Passover, we're actually directly referring to the lamb. The emphasis is the lamb. Because of the lamb and because of the blood, he jumped over the houses, therefore redeeming with us. But without the lamb, there's no blood. <laughs> and then that wouldn't happen. So be emphasis. So verse 15. So then for seven days, you're to eat matzah, the unleavened bread, eat matzah. But on the first day, you must remove chametz from your houses. So by the time this first day is here, the leaven is gone. And uh, for whoever eats chametz on the first day till the seventh day, that soul will be cut off from Israel. The first day is to be a holy assembly. So that's why we gather on the first day of unleavened bread for you as well as the seventh day. And that's why we gather on the seventh day. No manner of work is to be done on those days except what is to be eaten but to every person to, uh, that alone may be prepared for you. Verse 17. So you are to observe the feast of Matzot. See, we did Passover. Now we're observing the feast of Matzot. For on this very same day I, have I brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day throughout your generation as an what? Eternal ordinance. So when do we stop observing Passover? Until Messiah comes, right? What does it say? Eternal. You know what eternal means? We're not there yet. We continually. Verse 18. During the first month and the evening of the 14th day of the month, you are to eat matzot until the evening of the 21st day of the month. Verse 19. For seven days, no chametz is to be found in your houses. This is why we remove it from the houses. Because see, when they came out, they didn't have a house. <laughs> they just carried everything and left. So, but for us, for seven days... It's not even to be in your house. And then whoever eats chametz, that soul will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's an outsider or one who was born in the land. Oh, so whether it's someone who is naturally born Israel or not, if they're professing to be people of Yahweh, he is to observe. You're to eat no chametz in all your houses. You are to eat matzah. So regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's really only two things. What are they? Do not eat something with leaven. Do eat matzah. Two things. But are we willing to do it? 
Are we willing to actually search it out and, and, and to consider that? Exodus 13, 6 and 7. Seven days you are to eat matzah. The seventh day is to be a feast to Adonai. Matzot is to be eaten throughout the seven days, and no chametz is to be seen among you or with any of your borders. Throughout the history, what happens the people of Yahweh, we see exile and return. In this process of exile and return, we see throughout the Tanakh. Matter of fact, even in Yeshua's day, the people of Israel, though they were in the land, still considered themselves in a place of exile. Why? Because they did not rule themselves. They were not, they were not allowed to rule their, themselves. They could not govern themselves. They were not sovereign rule. So they were still in exile. So we're waiting for a day when there will no longer be exile, when Yahweh himself comes and sets up his rule, right? So until then, what do we do? We're in the world. We observe. We do what he's asked. So what happens? So the, they the exile and they return. But when they return, what did they do? See, they're exiled. Most of the time, what you're going to find throughout the scriptures, the people were exiled because of disobedience and rebellion, right? So what happens? When the people repented, they came back. And when they came back, or they, did they go, okay, now we're back in the land that God has promised us. I'm going to do what I want to, right? No, now you repent. You hear his voice and you do what he said, right? So that's what we're to do. So when we repent, repentance involves submission to Yahweh. Repent, and now we come to him and we do what he said. Now what? Deuteronomy 4, 27 to 30. So that Adonai will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the nations where Adonai will drive you. There you will serve man-made gods of wood and stone which do not see or hear or eat or smell. But from there you will seek Adonai your God and you will find him when you seek for him with all your heart, with all your soul. And when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days. This can also be translated in the last days. You will return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice. So what does it say? You will what? Return and listen to his voice. You can't return and not hear his voice. You can't hear his voice unless you're willing to return. See? So we repent, we return, and we hear his voice. That means obedience. Yeshua said, my sheep, what? Hear my voice and follow me. So that's what we're talking about. Ezra 6, 19 and 22. Again, we're talking about people returning. And then what did they do? So the people from the exile kept Pesach on the 14th day of the first month. For the Kohanim and the Leviim had purified themselves together. All of them were pure. So they slaughtered the Pesach lambs for all the people from the exile and their kinsmen and the Kohanim for themselves. And the people of Israel who had returned from the exile and all those who renounced the filthy practices of the nations living in the land in order to seek Adonai, the God of Israel, ate the Pesach lamb. See that? So the people who came from exile and the people who repented from the ways of the nations and said, no, I'm serving Yahweh. These are the ones who came and partook of the Passover. Verse 22, and they joyfully kept the feast of matzah for seven days. How many times do we see in the scripture? And they begrudgingly took of the feast of unleavened bread for, for the Lord said, oh, you mean I can't have pizza? And they were just terrible. <laughs> No. See, but they joyfully took from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. and Why? Because Adonai filled them with joy by turning their heart, the king of Asher, toward them. So they assisted them in the work of the house of God of Israel. So again, when we repent, we come to him and we learn to walk with him. And he will show us his heart and his way. Okay? So in order to take a Passover, one was to affirm that he is part of Yahweh's covenant people. You cannot say oh, I like you and your family. I want to sit down to a nice meal with you guys. That's not it, okay? Passover was given as a place of covenant with a covenant people. This was done because I serve God, okay? It's, this is a declaring allegiance. This is a place of covenant that was given to us. Exodus 12, 18 and 19. In the evening of the 14th day of the first month, the evening of the 21st, you are to eat matzah. During those seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. Whoever eats food with chametz is to be cut off from the community of Israel. And again, we're talking about Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then what does it say? It doesn't matter whether he's a foreigner or a citizen of the land. But I'm not Israel. What did, what did God say? It doesn't matter, foreigner, not Israel, or a citizen of Israel. We serve him his way. Uh, Exodus 12, 43. So Adam and I said to Moshe and Aaron, this is the regulation for the Pesach lamb. No foreigners to eat. No foreigners to eat it. No one who is not in a place of covenant with the God of Israel is to partake of the Passover. Verse 44, if anyone who has a, has a slave he bought for money or when he is circumcised, then he may eat it. Even those who work for you, you know, well, I got, I'm going to invite a bunch of people that I work with at my office. I'm going to do this and bring them in together. And we're going to do Passover together. Not if they're not in covenant. Not if they don't profess he is their God. You're going to profane your own table in your own home. By after a show of covenant, 
Yeah, see, but see, that's the beautiful thing in it, though, because that it doesn't matter where you doesn't matter everything in the past. Once we come to serve Yahweh, we are part of now you can partake of. Now you can come in and, 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 and have this thing with verse 46. It is to be eaten in what? One house. It's an awful big house. How many millions of people are we talking about here? So what does it mean by that? It's to be eaten in one house. It's to be eaten in one family. It's to be eaten in one place of gathering. One house. His house. Even when they partook, you know, they each had their own individual homes. But it's to be eaten in one. They are not to take any of the meat outside of the house. None of the lamb was to go outside of that place in the house. And they're not to break any of its bones. And the whole community of Israel is to keep it. It says the whole community of Israel, Kol Adat Yisrael Oseoto. It is the literally each, each and every. That's what Kol is. Each or every community of Israel is to do. And guess what happens? Yahweh says, well, so we have come to Him and we are redeemed. According to Galatians 3, according to Ephesians 2, according to Romans 7, you're grafted in. Whether you're naturally born or brought in, uh, brought in because of the place, you are grafted in to be part of a people called Israel. You know what that means? You're part of the community of Israel. If you profess Yeshua as the Messiah, if you profess Yahweh is the one that you serve, you're part of His people. And that's what He made the covenant with. Exodus 12.48, if the foreigner staying with you wants to observe Adonai's Pesach, again, who's Passover? Adonai's Pesach, it's who it belongs to. All his males must be circumcised. Why? It's not about the act of the circumcision. It's about the show of the covenant that was given in their heart. See? The, the, the circumcision was not covenant. The circumcision was a sign of covenant. And so it's what's going on in our heart is what was being dealt with. Then he may partake and observe. And he will be like a citizen of the land. But no uncircumcised person is to eat it. No one outside of covenant is to partake of it. So uh, Exodus 12, 49. The same teaching, the same teaching is to apply equally to the citizen and to the foreigner living among you. The same teaching. Torah achat yihye. The same Torah, literally. The same Torah is for you, the citizen, and for the one who is not a citizen living among you. If he wants to partake and to be a part of, then he must serve me. That decision, that's, that's about being born again. That's about being redeemed. That's about coming. To, once we come to him, then we can partake, partake freely and joyfully. But you're not to take that which is holy and to throw it to people who don't care. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Yeshua is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. We are to discern ourselves before we come to Passover. Here's the thing, guys. We should discern ourselves every day and place ourselves before the Father every day and say, Lord, I want you to search me. If there's anything in me that I need to repent of, just let me get it done now because I want to serve you today. See, that's what this is talking about. Test yourselves. It didn't say test your brother. He said examine your brother. Matter of fact, Yeshua addressed that too, didn't he? He said, why are you concerned about the toothpick in your brother's eye when you got like a railroad tie hanging out of yours? 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Again, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For, he, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Messiah. If we have the mind of Messiah, then we learn to discern as he told us to discern, which was according to the word. We're not, if we're saying, oh, I discern, but it contradicts the word, we need to be careful what spirit we're discerning. As we partake, we affirm with ourselves that we will follow Yahweh and we will be obedient to him. It's a place of covenant. I serve the one true God and I follow him. This is an affirmation of that. Not saying we have to do it perfectly because nobody is, but of saying, I will follow him. That's what's required. I will follow the one. Okay. What was Yahweh looking for in Mitzrayim? What would happen if the blood was not on the door? Somebody died. This was not a little thing. Someone died. What if they said, oh, slaughter, slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the door and do that? I think that's being a little legalistic, don't you? Okay, then don't do it. And somebody died. When Yahweh was going through the land, did he really not know who was his? Did he really need a map? Did he really have to start looking through and going, oh, let's see, okay, they've got the blood, they've got the blood, I guess they serve me. Oh, these guys, I'm going to go to these guys. Did he really need that? Did he not know? He knew his people. So what was he looking for? The blood over the door was a sign, not for the people just in the home. It was a sign for those outside the home. I serve God. When you serve him, it's not just for you. 
When you serve him, it's for others of the nations and of others around you to look at you and to say, you serve him and you're alive and you're living and God has blessed you. I want to serve him too. That's what we're looking at for Passover. So what attitude do we prepare for Passover? Are we joyful? Are we only concerned with ourselves? Or are we looking for someone else to remove the leaven from our hearts? Or are we willing to look for ourselves? I don't feel like searching for the leaven in my home. I'm going to hire someone to do it for me. Services like that exist. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine what that would call? Yeah, <laughs> Terry's like, I'll do, it. I'll do it. We'll make it real simple. Everything's got to go. <laughs> are we looking for somebody else to do it? Or are we willing? We have to be willing to take a look. And in that attitude, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11, verses 18 to 34. It says, first of all, when you come together at the Messiah's community, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it, for there must be factions among you so that those among you who are tried and true may be evident. Therefore, when you meet together in the same place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Okay, what does he mean talking about the Lord's Supper? Some would say, oh, he's talking about communion. Personally, I believe he's talking about Passover because what did Yeshua do with his Talmudim? So, so therefore, so you come together, you're not to come together, eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying, so you guys are gathering together. You're saying here, you're here for this purpose, but your actions are proving otherwise. So what they were doing, what were they doing? So, so each one takes his own supper beforehand and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What's going on here? What's he talking about? So you're gathering together and the time comes to go get the food and you always get that one guy who's like gets in front of everybody else and gets the biggest plate he can find and piles it this high. And so by the time you get halfway through, there's no food left. And so he's like, this guy's got all the food. And that guy back there, he's like, I'm not eating today. And this is how God said to bless his people? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so then they have, so they have the, the food and the bread and then the wine. One person's like, nope, all this wine's mine. And then again, you know, nobody back there has anything. You know, it's the idea of we're all sharing and we all partake and everybody gets what they need, right? But this is what was happening here. And what's the, what's the core heart of it? It's selfishness. It's selfishness. I'm going to look out for me and I'm going to get what I want, not considering we're here for the purpose of making sure everybody has what they need, right? So it goes on, verse 22. So what? It is certainly uh, not that you do not have houses, is it? So don't you have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise God's community and try to humiliate those who have nothing? So what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? I do not praise you for this. What he's saying is, if you know, oh, I got a big appetite, then eat beforehand. So when you come together, you can have just as much as everybody else and be satisfied. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? Making sure that when you come together, it's not about you. It's about every 23. For I received from the Lord that the night, uh, or received from the Lord what I also passed on to you that the Lord Yeshua on the night he was betrayed took matzah. Again, why are we talking about the Lord's meal? Now we're talking about Yeshua and the night he was betrayed, he took matzah, right? And when he had given things, he broke and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this is the, cu the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in memory of me. Again, we're talking about the Seder and everything in it involving Yeshua revealing who he was. The cup after the supper is when he chose to reveal himself. You know, the four cups during the Seder. The cup that was given after the supper is when he said, this is the blood of the cup. Verse 28, or 26. For as, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. See that? If you're, if you're partaking in an unworthy manner, what does it mean of unworthy manner? Does it mean you have to be perfect? No, it means your heart must be right. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself. Then let him eat of the bread and drink from it. For the one who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and some have died. Hmm. But it's just a little thing. No, we're told to examine ourselves. We can't just say, oh, I'm just going to come do this. No. Are we approaching with the right heart? Are we willing to follow? Are we willing? Verse 31. For if we are judging ourselves thoroughly, we wouldn't be coming under judgment. But when we are judged, we are being disciplined by the Lord so that we might not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you meet, it doesn't lead to judgment. And the rest I will put in order when I come. So what are we talking about? Let's just talk again about the right heart and the works in our life and how we're approaching these things. We see this in Galatians, don't we? Talking about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, you know, how we approach these things. So in a time of approaching Passover, 
what should we do? This would not be a bad uh, area of, of Scripture to kind of meditate on for a while. You know, do we have evidence of these things in our lives? Go through all of them, the good and the bad. Go, go through these things. Do we have evidence of any of these in our lives? And if they're a place that works of the flesh, then we need to repent. The fruit of the Spirit, then cultivate it and let it grow further, right? What are these things? What does it say? Galatians 5, 19 and 23. So the deeds of the flesh are clear. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, just as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Ruach is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no... So as we prepare for Passover, we're searching for leaven. The worst of the flesh is leaven. The fruit of the Spirit is unleavened. So we search ourselves for... So in the matter of... This is doing the spiritual. This is where the focus of, of, of this teaching is. But I can't talk about this... The, the spiritual things without actually talking about some of the physical and how we are to uh, do what is leaven, what and how we're going to get it out, right? So what is leaven? Krispy Kreme is not kosher for Passover. <laughs> Just saying. Even when that hot and ready sign is up, it's still not kosher for Passover. All right. This is the point. In all products consumed during Passover, it might look the same. It might smell the same. It might taste the same, but it's not the same. Does that make sense? It's not about what it is, it's about what's inside of it. What was the process used to make it? How did it get that way? And then, again, consider this is the spiritual lesson that goes along. It looks the same, sounds the same. The problem is even like a uh, flour for Passover, right? You know how they do it? They get the matzah, they make the matzah, they cook it, they do it really quick, and then they re-grind the matzah after it's cooked to make the flour. Why? <laughs> To make sure that it's there's no humets in it, you know. So it's not about what it looks like. And if you say, "Oh, well, I see, I saw this coach for Passover, so this brand is okay," you're willing to make that gamble because maybe it is, maybe it's not. Worst case scenario, do some research and do some homework if you really want it. Okay, but consider this: if there's anything in our life where I absolutely, positively can't do without that for seven days, and consider this as well. Even the medical community will tell you that it's good once a year to do a yeast cleanse. Well, who knew? <laughs> God actually knew what he was talking about, <laughs> right? So, so how do we do some of these things? Remember, it's not what it looks like. Is there leaven in the process, right? Remember Galatians 5.9? Only a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole thing, right? Okay, leaven, chometz, leavening agent. A number of things used in doughs, batters, causes a foaming action, it lightens and softens the finished product. Leaven causes something to rise or to sour or to ferment, something in there. It's a process of decay. They can make some things. It's like, it, it's the same thing, but it's done differently. That's why you can have, like I said, two products, same thing, but one's kosher for Passover, one's not. Even the matzah, you notice? You look at the matzah, okay, well, it's the same brand, same people, and it's matzah, but this one's for Passover and this one's not. What's the difference? It's how they're made. That's the difference, the process and how it goes into it, okay? So fermentation, the leavening is a process of decay. The more something rose or the more something soured, the more decay that is evident in it. Remember this, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, knowledge does what? Puffs up, but love edifies. And if any man think that he knows something, he doesn't know what he thinks he knows. <laughs> okay, that's good advice for all of us. Oh, I know this. Scripture says the minute we say, oh, I got this. Stop, reconsider, Okay. That's what the scripture tells us to do. All right, so some thoughts for discernment. Remember, the spiritual concepts learned physically. Do we really know what we think we do? Are we willing to take... So chametz, what is it? Chametz is any food product made from wheat, barley, rye, oats, spelt, or their derivatives, which has leavened or which has risen. These are things, if you notice, you can take them, you can crush them, you can mix them with water, let it sit, and what's it going to do? It's going to ferment. It's going to rise. It's going to thus like sourdough bread. Right? You take the flour, the water, you mix it up, you let it sit, and what's going to happen over time? You're going to have a starter. <laughs> okay. So again, it's just part of the process. Flour from any of these five grains, when it comes in contact with water or moisture, will start to leaven unless fully baked within 18 minutes. Again, you can pick, you can pick hairs regarding this 18 minutes thing. This is just the time they said 
Okay, we're going to try to do this within this time frame so that it has no chance at all to start the leavening process. Again, when you start to mix things and do, you let it sit. What does it start to do? It'll, it'll start the process. Uh, if a food contains it, we've got a trace of chametz, we don't eat it. We don't derive benefit from it. We make sure not to have any of it in our possession for all the days of Passover. Food could contain traces of chametz if it was processed on the same equipment as chametz products. So in other words, you may even people who have like allergy informations will have some products where it says, this was made of a product that also has nuts in the factory, although there's none in the product, right? But if you have a severe allergy, you don't buy that product. Why? There's a chance that just maybe there could be some in there. Same thing, again, we're talking about the kosher for Passover and kosher, I mean the two. Uh, so unless a product certified kosher for Passover, many will consider it chametz. What about vinegar? Vinegar is re-fermented alcohol. Malt vinegars are by definition chametz, as is any product containing malt, as it is made from fermented barley. Wine, apple, and white distilled vinegars are usually fine for Pesach. However, white distilled, white distilled vinegars can be made from wheat, which would make it Chometz. Wine, apple, and white distilled vinegars may contain additives that are chometz or be made on equipment that is also processed chometz or products as malt vinegars to be taken care to review the products. If anything says vinegar on it, something to consider. Like consider even your condiments. A lot of them, what's a base? What do they put in it? Vinegar, right? So again, if, it's, if something says it's got vinegar in it, take a double take, okay? Look at it. Iodized salt, it's iodized with dextrose. Confection or sugar? Powdered artificial sweeteners, they contain cornstarch. These products are not uh, kosher for Passover approved. A lot of people, again, the idea of mixing things with corn, because you take the corn, you take it, you mash it, you mix it together, and then what's going to happen? It's going to start to ferment, right? What about cheese? Cheese? You got to be kidding me, right? Cheese? All hard cheese and most soft cheese contain bacterial cultures, and hard cheese is coagulated via rennet, usually microbial. Nutrients used in fermentation are also frequently not acceptable for Passover, like Blue cheese uh, is also made uh, like from bread or many other enzymes or cultures. Passover approved rennet and cultures are supplied exclusively with Passover approved nutrients grown in kosher for Passover environments and contain no non-Passover contents. Many cheese factories add vinegar to their cheese vats to balance the pH. So even in that, and it's such amount where they don't have to list it in the ingredients. Because you guys know that the way it is, not everything is that is, is in the food is not listed in the food. There are certain things that are permissible. As long as it's less than this, you don't have to put it on. All manufactured products should have a hexer, which is a stamp of approval on the label. Hexer should have like a P or other statement that says kosher for Passover. So it's not, again, not just the kosher. You'll have like the K or the U or something like that, but then you'll have like the P next to it. Some of it don't have that, but it will say in Hebrew, kosher le Pesach, kosher for Passover. Okay. Uh, kosher for Passover Coke. You know, they make that. And it, but the, the lids are normally yellow, but if you look on the lid, it will say in Hebrew, kosher le Pesach. What's the difference? Again, it's how it's made and what's in it, right? The kosher Passover Coke, they don't put corn syrup in it. So the question is that, again, are we, are we really willing to search within ourselves the pure heart while at the same time not, ju not judging? I'm not going to come to your home and to start going through your cabinets and to start throwing stuff out. I promise you, I'm not, Okay. But at the same time, are we willing to go and to look in ourselves and to look and, and, to, and to say, God, I, I want you to teach me something in this process. It's not about just physically doing this. I am doing this, but I want you to teach me something about me. Okay, leaven dough, that's it rises and it swells. Okay, it symbolizes pride and boastfulness. Matzah, it's thin and flat, suggesting meekness, humility. Chometz is arrogance, very antithesis. So do we literally and really look for leaven? Well, Matthew 25, 21, Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of my life. Are we willing to be faithful in even the things that we consider little, small, or maybe even insignificant just for no other reason than be willing to do? Remember this, how are we to observe Passover? With a thankful heart. If at any moment as we're getting ready for Passover, we start to not have a thankful heart, it'll happen. If any moment it starts to happen, stop. Reconsider why you're doing it. Because Scripture says do everything without fetching, arguing, complaining. Why are we going to do a holy thing and argue and grumble? Are we going to get a blessing that way? See? So again, do everything. Do what? Everything. What does everything mean? Everything, right? Do everything without fetching or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without defect 
in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the sky. Your job is to shine. So let that fire from Yahweh burn within. How that is. Be thankful that you're finding leaven again. Be thankful that you're finding. And we come thankful. He's cleaning us. As we're looking and we're looking for the leaven, we're doing things, He's searching us. As we're cleaning our cabinets, He's cleaning our cabinets. As we, we do this thankfully and honor. And we come before Him, we can come before Him with clean hands and a pure heart. We come before Him rejoicing. And are we going to get it right? No, we're not. Well, wait a minute. Then why do it? <laughs> I just told you why. <laughs> come before Him with a clean heart, with a pure heart to do it. And observe and do that. The reason why after Passover you always find something that you missed. Everybody's laughing. You know why? Because it's true. The reason why you always find something that you missed or something you didn't think about or something that, oh, wow, I never knew that. Reason why is to no other reason than to teach us. You do what you can do. And where we fail, God makes up. You do what he's asked us to do. He's never asked us to be perfect. Even the translation of the scripture where it says to be perfect, that means be upright. Doesn't mean be, be like do everything without any mistakes. He's asking us to come before him just in obedience. We miss it. He, because only he can. Amen? Okay. So one last thing. Remember, as we come before him in a time of, in a time of these Moedim, don't forget about bringing an offering for the Moedim, because that's, again, that's an expression of our hearts. Why, why do we bring offerings to Yahweh? Because it represents who we are. For no other reason than he's asked. It's another act of faith. That's another way of worship. Okay. According to Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 to 17, it says during the Shalosh Regalim, during the, the three times a year we appear before Yahweh, that we bring him an offering because he has blessed us. Doesn't tell you how much that's got to be. Just as Yahweh blessed you, yes, he has blessed me. Give according to as he has blessed from our hearts. Amen.